welcome to This Week in Tennis. My name is Phil Nasons. He's Craig Doyle, and we're here to talk tennis with you today. What's happening, Craig? Not a lot, my friend. It's uh, It's been busy work-wise, but um, on the tennis front, I missed the uh, women's final. I know, I know you're going to be devastatingly disappointed with me, but uh, I did miss the women's final, and I only caught the... Uh, the first two sets of the men's final because it was on so late here. Oh, I'm not disappointed with you at all, my friend, because you know why I missed most of the women's final? <laughs> and I watched the last two sets of the men's final. But it's okay. It was a great I, tournament. It was. Yeah, no, you know, it, like every Grand Slam, I guess you can't watch every match. Uh, you know, you got to pick and choose what you're going to watch. But, um, you know, I, I wanted to catch that final, but uh, it didn't happen, unfortunately. It sure didn't, but uh, one thing didn't happen. Serena didn't win, dude. Yeah, not been the same for the last four finals now, and I don't think she's even won a set. Um, despite the fact that in all of those Grand Slams going into the final, I think like everybody would have made her favorite. Well, I would have made her the favorite, but you know what's funny? When she plays against someone who's not afraid of her and who can hit harder than her, she generally loses. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, a bit of a trend, isn't it? Um, I would say, you know, these days there's a lot of girls who who can hit the ball real hard, they hit real flat, and... um, you know, maybe maybe we're getting to that stage for career where she's just not quite able to run the ball down the same way she used to be able to. Well, against that girl, Andreescu, I don't think you're going to run her down. I don't think she's going to be the greatest of all time, like Serena probably is. But she beat her down like she stole something. <laughs> to be honest, that's been kind of a theme in these finals with Serena, isn't it? It's um, been really one-sided against Serena in, in like all of these last finals. Um, you know, not, not just the the, the Osaka one, and uh, again at Wimbledon, um, it, it, she's not really looked like Serena's got off to such a slow start. She's just never been able to recover from it. Well, that's just it. But I don't think she can, though. Um, you know, again, I, I think it comes down to the ones who aren't afraid of her beat her and the ones that are she knows that she seizes the moment and she goes into Serena mode I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that most of the girls on the tour since she's gotten there since she began to win have been afraid of her yeah, I just wonder, like, you know, I think that's a great point. I think that, that really does hold up with me. I just wonder if, um, at the same time, there's a little bit, the fact that the final's got something to do with that. She's trying to get over that, that final hurdle, and there's that added pressure that you don't see in, you know, the second round or the or the fourth round or, or whatever, because, she, I mean, she even cruised through that semi-final. Um, I'm, I'm not saying that um, Svitolina was afraid of her or not afraid of her. Maybe she is afraid of her, but, you know, Serena cruised through that match. She, she cruised through the, t- the rest of the tournament, and um, none of these other girls managed to season it. So maybe it's just that uh, mental block when she gets to the final, the added pressure, the, you know, the big match. Maybe there's a little bit of something there as well. 
Well, she doesn't win big matches anymore, really. When was the last big match Serena Williams won? Ah, uh, the Sharapova in the first round count? No. <laughs> that wasn't a big match. That was never... You know, when Maria Sharapova and Serena Williams played, that was never a big match, dude. Never. Because you could see when they came out of the tunnel that Sharapa was afraid. She was always afraid of her. Always has been. Always will be. It is what it is. Maria made her money. Serena made her name winning matches. No, absolutely. And uh, the head-to-head record kind of shows that, doesn't it? It's like massively <laughs> skewed one-sided. But, you know, it's the two box office names. And when that came up in the U.S. Open, they had to put that one up in lights. Well, they had to, and, and, and rightly so, because it might be the last time that they play each other. The The biggest problem, I think, with Serena is she never had a true rival. Chris Everett had Martina Navratilova. Navratilova had Chris Everett. Then she had Steffi Graf. Graf had who? Monica Sellis. But that was it. Serena has had no one. No true rivalry like those other rivalries were. Yeah, and that's, that, that does kind of make it, uh, you know, how many years was actually dominated for? I lose count, 15, almost 15, um, possibly more. Um, then when, you know, you get to that age, um, I, I just want to compare for a second to the other side of the tour, the men's side of the tour. You know, you have a guy like Roger Federer, um, he's still competing at that age, and I think he's been pushed to be able to compete at that age because he does have those rivals in Djokovic, in Nadal. Um, they, they've pushed him to be better and better, and Serena, you know, I think she found a place where she peaked, and then she sort of just plateaued. She leveled off. Her, her game was at a level that was good enough to beat everyone for, for over a decade, and she's never really been forced into doing anything different with her game because her game was you know supreme across uh the women's tour for so long so so now that these young girls are, are fitter they're faster they're able to hit the ball harder that you know they've been brought up to beat serena if if i put it in that context you know they've seen serena as a gold standard their games built around beating that game um she, i think she's starting to find it hard to adapt well yeah the other thing, too, and let's not forget, Roger also had Andy Murray. And he had Andy Roddick. And he had, well, he, I guess he had Pete Sampras for a minute. But Andy Murray was one of his rivals, too. Andy Murray went out because of injury. And that's why he fell out. Otherwise, he would be part of that, that group that pushed each other to these exciting levels and made men's tennis that the way it is now, which is really lopsided. It's a mountaintop, and then there's a valley at the bottom, and there's no one in the middle. You're either up at the top or you're down low. But with Serena, the other thing that I see with her, and I've watched her quite a bit. I've watched her since she was a kid. She's never had to physically prepare and change in order to do battle because everyone was afraid of her. She got away with it. Now she can't do that. And I'm starting to wonder, is she going to get to number 24? Wow, what a question. What a question. 
The oh, you just let the old physical part go away, huh? <laughs> well, yeah, you know, the, the physical part, um, it is huge. I think you've got to go back to the men's side for that. You know, all of these huge guys. Huge is a good word for that. Well, yeah, you know, she's 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 heavy, you know, but yep. that's uh, she, she's worked with it. You know, you can't say she's unfit. Um, she's not, you know, the sort of typical build for running back and forwards. And I think that's what changed in the men's game is it became more cardio based and it became serve based. You know, these guys were big. They were hitting the ball hard. They needed to get smaller in a way because they needed to run the ball down. And, and that's not really been a, a huge feature of the women's game over the last decade or so. But yeah, it certainly is now. And uh, movement's king, you know, being able to defend, um, serve, to return serve. That's huge. Running the ball down is huge. You know, these girls are now learning that you can actually win points through attrition. And we'll come to attrition later because the king of attrition is uh, our next topic. But, um, <laughs> you, yes, you know, Serena doesn't right. have to do that. But ca can she win 24, you said? You, you know, she's still getting to the finals. So it only takes having one good day. But if you keep getting to the finals, you're going to get one. So, you know, I, I wouldn't write her off. I think she's got another year there yet. But um, as you say, it depends on what the, the competition is. If one of these young girls hits it hot like Osaka did for six months, but mine just to string it out for longer, then it's, it's going to be real tough for Serena. Well, it'll be very tough. I don't think Serena can play seven matches anymore. Not high quality tennis, and, and nowadays she's going to have to play at least four. I, I think to win a, a women's major, you have to play four high level matches. I think you have to play from round three on up. It, you can get by rounds one and two. Serena can get by easily in rounds one and two, just because of the intimidation factor, just because of the wow, I'm playing Serena factor. Wow, Serena was a poster on my wall, and now she's across the net from me. Wow, Serena, you know, the one who's growling down there. The one who's uh, hitting Mach 5. Those matches she walks through. But that kid from Canada, she didn't walk through that. She played a very good semi against Svitolina. God dang. But whatever. But... When it all came down to push and shove, the teenager shoved her right off the court. Yeah, absolutely. And there have been little signs here and there that um, Andrescu was, you know, she, there was no sign she was going to win a slam, but she, she won up in Canada at her, her home um, tournament. Um, she had a big summer. Uh, little signs there that she, she might be up for a good run at the Open. But, uh, yeah, I think that was cherry on top of the cake for her. She worked real hard for that. It, it wasn't something that came naturally to her. She really had to, to put the miles in with the legs. And, you know, congratulations to her. She, she did everything right. Everything right. You know, and, and this is not a, a podcast where we're going to disparage Serena Williams. I'm one of her biggest fans. I have been all along. I've stood up for her. I've, stood, I've used her as a great opportunity to go against racism. you know. But the bottom line is, Craig, she can't play seven matches anymore. Five? Yeah. Six? Okay. But seven? 
I mean, she hasn't even fought in a final in a while. No, I mean, what did I say? You know, the last the last four finals, she's lost eight straight sets, yep. something like that. It's uh, that's not good. You know, that's a, a sign that you're not competing at all. You know, um, she, she gave a gave a little bit towards the end of the the final at the U.S. Open. There, you know, there was a slight hint that she might be able to take advantage of this girl. Uh, looking a bit nervous, but you know that didn't happen. Um, she she couldn't get her way back into it. So uh, it, you know she'll look at that. It's, it's been a difficult year. It's got to be something that she needs to get over. And uh, we don't know. We really don't know. You know, maybe her next best opportunity might be as far away as Wimbledon next year. Maybe the the Open next year. Um, I'm, I'm sure that 2020 is going to be such a huge year for Serena Williams. Um, if she feels, you know, that she's not able to compete at a high level, well, you know, she's got a daughter, she's got a family. Could we possibly see her hang up the racket to the end of next year if, if things aren't going well? You know, I'm not so certain that that's uh, not a real possibility at the minute. Well, that's a fair way to put it, too. Um, you know what? She does have a family. She did have a baby two years ago. But we've seen other mothers come out and win Grand Slams. What we haven't seen is Serena win one as a mom. We've we've seen her play well at times. And I don't think she's going to hang up that racket until she can't play anymore. Because she's making bank. Okay, her husband's a billionaire. But she ain't far away. And she really likes being on the court. You can see that she likes being on the court, Craig. But it's just when she runs into these girls, and they're coming up more and more frequently now, she can't hang when it matters most. And that's not a knock against her. Father Time is undefeated, Craig. Oh, absolutely, he is. But you know, like you mentioned Father Time, and I just I caught this story just before we came on the air. Um, you were talking about mothers who've won Grand Slams. I'm going to throw this one to you because th- this one was, you know, it blew me back. Kim Kleisters is talking about a return to that's, tennis. I, I heard that. She, uh, I think she wants to do a document. She's doing a documentary, right? Sort of like the, the, the Netflix type thing or? Yeah, like some kind of documentary about her life in tennis and coming back. You know what? Why not? Because, again, she can probably compete. I'm sure she could compete. She was a very good competitor, Greg. Yeah, I mean, it, she she went away. She had a, a baby. She's, I think she's got three kids now. But <laughs> Why not? Bring the whole first- crew out there. After after having the first kid, she uh, she won the U.S. Open twice, I think, possibly. I think it was twice. After she retired, she's yeah, come well, back. That was she's, after the first she's, retirement. She's had more comebacks than uh, than the hula hoop. <laughs> but you know what? And more power to her. It, it, but if she does, what does that say about the women's game of tennis? What does that say about the WTA tour? If Kim Kleisters is able to come back and let's say she wins something, something big, what does that say about the WTA tour? Yeah, that's, it, it's a mixed message, isn't it? You could either go one way and say that Kim Kleisters has got a lot of quality um, and she's able to tap into her experience and do that, or you can look at it and say it's not a good message for these young girls that, that someone, you know, almost twice their age and 
we've got players like that on the tour. We've we've got Venus. You had Chemical Daddy, Kroom, you know, both sort of edging 40, exceeding 40 and still being able to compete. But um, when you have people in their late 30s coming in competing with kids at 17, 18, it, it does really concern you that the, the level uh, of play is dropping significantly. Well, you know what it is. These folks see these young girls who aren't very fundamentally sound, who aren't mentally all the way there, and they say, you know what? I can go ahead and take care of business. I was all those things. I can beat those girls. Those girls are weak-minded. They're only interested about in modeling and looking hot on a camera in a magazine. They're not really interested in winning tennis matches. I can beat them. That's what they're thinking. I'm sure of it. Wouldn't you be thinking that? Yeah, you know, there's a certain personality that's certainly like that. Um, Anna Konnikova's probably listening to this somewhere, I'm sure. Oh, I'm Um, sure she is. And you know what? She was the poster girl for all those things. But the thing about Anna Konnikova was she could actually play. Yeah, and I'm sure you want me to. I'm trying not to, to mention Eugenie Bouchard in every single podcast, but it seems to, uh, it's just, her name seems to crop up because she's just one of those typical examples of, uh, she got too carried away with the, um, you know, modern shoots on the beach, um, all the merchandise opportunities, um, the magazine covers, you know, she had the look, she had the image, she, you know, had the game, it was there, but, um, it, it kind of shows you where, where all these girls' mindsets are at. You know, there's bigger money to be made if you can get the sponsorships and the contracts to do the modeling shoots than there is to do the tennis part because you got to put in a lot of hard work to do the tennis part. You know, uh, when I was coaching in Europe, I had a Russian coach tell me, I'm not going to tell you who, he said, when I choose who I'm going to work with, looks and what they're going to look like in 10 years matters more than their game. And I think that's true. I never coach like that, but I know others that have. If you have the whole package, look at Maria Sharapova. Okay, she won a couple grand slams. But they pushed her forward. The, the girl from Ro, the girl from Serbia. What was her name? Uh, the one who's married to a golfer. Um, no, she's married to footballer Anna Ivanovic. Yeah, Ivanovic. Yeah, Ivanovic. Anna Ivanovic. See, these girls come and go so quickly. She was all about the modeling, and she got awful skinny too. You know, uh, there's nothing wrong with a girl who's physically built, Craig. There's nothing wrong. They're athletes. Looks are not important. Looks don't hit tennis balls. And, and I think that I think well, it's you a, know, a bad message. You know how it is, Flash, with Anna Ivanovic. I, I just kind of thought it was something in the water they had over there in Serbia because Novak Djokovic went that way as well. But then, you know, I remember he stays in Monte Carlo now. Yeah, right. See, we got to remember that. He stays in Monte Carlo now. The, the lovely, the patriot himself who lives and dies for his country. 
Doesn't even pay taxes there, right? <laughs> Do you remember? You remember all those people who used to hoot on us because we uh, were critical of him? <laughs> Get out of here! But anyway, Did he let's, pay taxes at all? Oh, who knows? And you know what? But maybe Eugenie Bouchard knows. We should bring her on the show <laughs> yeah. and ask her. No, she won't be doing my channel. She'll not be playing tennis. No, probably not. And I'm sure she has great insight into Novak Djokovic. But that's besides the point. Let's get back to Serena before we get ourselves in real trouble. But uh, number 24. Does she need to win 24 majors to be considered the greatest tennis player of all time? Greatest female tennis player of all time? That's an interesting question, isn't it? Because on the men's side, there's kind of this battle going on at the minute. Yeah, we'll get into that in a minute. Yeah, for sure. and, you know, it's kind of based upon who's got the most grand slams, at least about the argument is at the minute. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I do kind of think, like, there will be that hanging over her. I think she probably already is the greatest of all time. You know, she's achieved so much. She's, it's not just been in the singles, but it's been in doubles as well. It's been a you know, UN tournaments and all these sort of things. But um, even off the court, she's advanced the game. She's advanced women in sports. She's, you know, you touched on the, the the racism element as well. She's, between her and her sister, they've done so much. Um, gender element, um, equal pay between, you know, again, Venus, Serena. Uh, there's, there's so much going on there. But I don't think she would want her to be hanging over if, her head that she didn't get the 24 and somebody else on record has. Margaret Court? <laughs> well, you know, they don't want to talk about her now either, do they? They just want to uh, erase her from history. Well, that's a pity. You know, that's a pity because uh, I work with someone who uh, ran the academies for her and that's a pity. But you know what? Just because someone has an opinion that's contrary to what seems to be popular doesn't negate the fact that yes, Margaret Court won quite a bit. She dominated women's tennis. It should have been her playing Bobby Riggs instead of Billie Jean King, but she didn't want to do it. Margaret Court was a trailblazer, but let's look at that in context. Let's put Margaret Court on a tennis court in the year 2019, does she win a match? You know what? I find it really difficult to do this because tennis is like so many other sports. It just completely has evolved over time. You know, Margaret Court's playing, and we just alluded to it earlier in the podcast, you know, the game's changing. There's much more of a cardio base to the game now. Um, when Margaret Court played, there might not have been quite the, the athletic base to the game that there is these days. You know, you, you've seen it in every sport. You know, everyone who plays every sport is a pure athlete now. They're able to run. They're able to, you know, just just go nonstop for the duration of that sport. They, they, they could run themselves into the ground and um, they're, they're quick, they're strong, they're powerful. You, you know, Margaret Court, it, it was a different era. It's a, it's a different way of playing the game and the game itself has changed you know the technology brought in i just don't mean hawkeye and things like that here I'm, t I'm talking about like the racket technology that allows the players to hit the ball harder you know we're not playing with the wooden racket now we're, we're not even playing with the same type of strings they're always looking for ways to to get an edge you know you've got these bigger rackets where you've got these bigger sweet spots that makes it easier to hit the ball and all sorts of things so it, it's you know if margaret court was you know 25 years old 
played against a 25-year-old from today, and she was able to get herself in that condition, then, yeah, you know, I, th- I think tactically sh- she probably would be able to uh, compete, but uh, it's a completely different game now, so it's so difficult to to actually compare. You brought up something very important. Tactics. Back when those wooden rackets, which I played with also, you had to actually be able to play tennis. You couldn't be fundamentally flawed like Serena and Venus Williams are, or most of those girls are on the tour. And for that matter, most of the guys too. Look at them. Look at how they move. You know, it's all about spending time in the gym. Back in that day, you played tennis for four to six hours. That's how you got strong. Now you play tennis for one hour, you spend four hours in the gym, and then you spend another hour with your psychiatrist. And then another hour with your nutritionist. And and it's different. I'm of the belief that someone who won a Grand Slam in 1980 or 1970 put in the same game in an era forward, like, say, 2019, with the same opportunities to learn, with the same equipment, would be the same player. Maybe better. But they'd be champions because they have that same thing. It's still You still need that thing, that, that whole package to win a Grand Slam. I don't care if it was 1959 or 1999 or 2019. The package still is there. So I think Margaret Court could compete in today's game if she had the same opportunity to play and prepare with these rackets and this equipment, the strings, for especially the strings, the coaching and all the other stuff. I think so. But is really, but Margaret Court, is she the greatest? Do you use Grand Slams as a benchmark or a, uh, the, the, the post, if you will, for who's the greatest? Well, we'll get onto that topic later, I'm sure, but uh, I think many people, um, you know, it's it's easy metric for them, isn't it? Uh, they they do like to use it as as a benchmark. Um, they they don't want to break down the game. They don't want to look at who does does what. It's probably because they don't um, know how to break down the games, Craig. Well, you know, that's that's a high possibility, but um, for for the simple man out there, who's whoever's got the most tends to uh, be the the benchmark for them when it comes to the greatest of all time. Okay. Okay, so Serena's not then. What about Steffi Graf? Well, I'm sure we we did a podcast a while back, and I I think I put forward Steffi Graf as my greatest of all time. Right, Um, you did. You know, that was just me breaking down Steffi Graf's game. Um, That that was you. But, you know, I've watched a lot of tennis. I've seen a lot of different uh, female players in my time, and she had, you know, some of the, the, the best components to a game that I've seen I, I think you know she's another one if she competed right now she, a lot of these girls just wouldn't know what to do with her she you, you know she was <laughs> able to manipulate the ball in a way that most of these girls would just be completely confused by um, and you know she she had the what they call the Fraulein forehand oh yeah um, you know devastating just Bud Collins devastating. nicknamed her that yeah that's true yeah yeah he was a real correspondent but yeah, I, I I don't even like the term GOAT. Who's the greatest of all time? Because you know what? I prefer 
the greatest of their era, the greatest of their generation. Who's the greatest of Serena's generation? Well, Serena is without a doubt. And the the generation before, I would have to say Steffi Graf, then Martina Navratilova, then Billie Jean King, Margaret Court. Uh, they were right there. You know, Billie Jean King has done more for women's rights and women's tennis and women's sports and just women in general than any other human being on the planet that I know of anyway. I mean, can't she be the greatest too? Yeah, I think there's just an obsession with people in trying to find this one person who's a benchmark. Yeah, and, uh, we're doing a whole podcast is, about it. This is probably the fourth time we've done this in the history of this show. <laughs> yeah. The problem is, though, you know, there's never usually just one person that defines a sport. There's always, you know, various people who approach sports in different ways. And I think that's why we love sports is, you know, you tend to find that there's the conventional and then there's the unconventional. And, you know, you, you get people who, who love that textbook guy who just beats everyone with that style that looks so effortless. And it looks like it comes out the coaching manual. And then you have the people who are drawn to those mavericks, those guys who come along, or, or girls who come along, and they they hit shots at you. Are, are, you're not going to get caught uh, on by like a coach, you know. And I'm talking about Nadal here when it comes to tennis. And if you want to go to cricket, then you've got like Steve Smith. Uh, I'm sure you'll have guys in baseball. You'll have guys in basketball that just do things that you, you just don't expect, or you, you wouldn't coach to a kid. Um, so. The greatest of all time is it's a silly argument for me because you're trying to condense you know so much variety into to one person, and I don't think one person in you know 99% of sports is ever going to have it all. One of the things I like to think about when I think about this argument is: Will people be talking about this person 50 years from now? That's a, that's a different kind of argument. I guess, or a different way of looking at it. At least that's how I look at it, which, well, because I have a different way of looking at most things, I guess. Does Serena get remembered in 50 years? Yeah, absolutely. I think she gets remembered in the same way where where you and I are talking about Margaret Corrin. You know, it's not 50 years, but Steffi Graf, um, Billie Jean King. You know, she's done so many significant things that I don't think you're ever going to not remember Serena Williams. If you do, you didn't pay attention. If you yeah, do, for, you didn't you know, go to the library or, or you got the internet in your hand. You didn't know how to use your Google. Yes, yeah, Serena is one of the greatest of all time. Greatest in her era. I mean, but I think, though, and we're going to wrap that up. But I honestly think that what her, she would have won 24 majors long ago had she have had a true rival to get out of bed and say, I'm going to go kick her ass. I'm going to go and lose some of this junk in my trunk so I can be a little bit quicker and I'm going to go knock somebody's ass out. That's what I'm going to do. She's never had that. Not even her sister. And her sister is probably the only true rival she ever had. Yeah, that was short term as well. You know, unless I say short term, but you know, it's not someone who's been there her whole career that's been at the top for the whole Serena's career. So, um, no, you're right. I think, you know, rivals push you to get better. Well, that's the only way it happens. Find ways. Well, you have to have that in a, in a, in a single sport, in a, in a, 
in an independent one-on-one sport like tennis. You have to have a rival. You have to have a reason, Craig, to get out of bed and go after it. Because tennis is hard. I remember this fat kid from Australia talking crap to me one day who's never played a, a lick of tennis in his life. And I said, dude, you know what? You don't get it. This is a hard sport. It's physically demanding. The travel is lunacy. It's mentally challenging. You, If you're a mental midget like, say, that kid down in Australia is, I mean, you can't survive out there. I mean, you have to have so much going for you to even get out on the tour, let alone win a major. Or in Serena's case, 23 majors, Craig. Absolutely. You know, it's uh, it's easy when you watch on the TV, isn't it? <laughs> With a bag you know, of chips you, you in your hand. You, you don't even have to travel very far. <laughs> Unless you have to go look for the remote. Well, that's it. You know, like there's so many people who want to sit and do the armchair thing and Twitter these days. And you've got the experience that I had from a few years back. There's, there's you know, so many self-appointed experts on Twitter. They know best. Yeah, the Twittiots, the Twittiots are never wrong about anything. At least the anonymous ones. Because what are they going to do? It, it's the same, but you can't be anonymous in tennis. You have to go out there and play every day when you don't feel well. And especially ladies. You know, they have other things going on that sometimes makes stepping out on a tennis court difficult. Yeah, absolutely. You know, but as, as you said, you know, just going back to Serena there. Greatest of all time. Yeah, probably. Greatest of her era. Definitely. For sure. Rafael Nadal, he picked up his latest major. I thought he was going to lose. I really did. Uh, I like Berrettini a lot. I, I, I cashed with him every round in that tournament. Rafael Nadal is still a champion. I remember when I first saw him play Craig when he was 14 years old, and I said to his Uncle Tony, I say he's going to probably win a few French Opens, but that's it. Because nobody slides on asphalt. He's not going to win on grass, Tony. You know why? Because the kid can't volley. Boy, he proved me wrong, didn't he? And I'm glad for it because there's not a nicer, more humble person than Rafael Nadal. No, it was not, and you know everyone slides on asphalt these days. Um, they even make they shoes for it. Now. it. Yeah, they do. They absolutely do. Um, he's had a incredible career, and I don't want to make this sound like he's going to retire anytime soon. Because every time he looks like he's burst and that his career's over, he comes back better than ever. He comes back playing shots that he didn't play before. He comes back volleying the ball at the net more often. Um, he's possibly one of the best examples of what we were talking about in being able to adapt your game, to evolve, having those rivals around them forced him to do that. They found ways to deconstruct his game in the same way that he was able to deconstruct Roger Federer's game. Um, he's a phenomenon and even the people who you know, didn't like him to start with or are starting to show him the respect that he deserves because he kind of falls into that maverick category where what he does sometimes isn't pretty to watch 
or it's not conventional. You know, you, you wouldn't go and coach a kid to hit the ball like he hits the ball. But he's made it work for him. Uh, it shouldn't work, but it does work. And, you know, he, he should get huge respect because if anyone's done it their own way, Rafa did it his way. Medvedev is the kid he played in the final. I'm still disappointed that Berrettini didn't make it there. But Medvedev is a great player. I think he's going to be a great player. But we'll talk about Medvedev next week. I want to talk about Rafa Nadal. I'm impressed with that kid. Always have been. But when you think about the injuries he's had, and you know what else? You know how you know you followed his career? When you see his uh, one of his friends, his coaches out there, who was real young and now he looks like a grandpa? You know, um, his agent, his business guy, who stands out on the court and feeds balls. But Rafa Nadal plays 100% every point, and it's a punishing sport, and his knees are bad, and he still comes through, and he's survived all the rumors of the steroids and all those other things, and along the way remained the same kid he was when he was in juniors, a humble kid who doesn't complain, who doesn't talk crap to referees and linesmen and umpires, who doesn't talk crap to tournament directors, who doesn't talk crap and, and brag about his own standing and merits and just goes out and beats the shit out of you. I think they call that a professional. Yeah, that's what they call that, a professional. And, and you know the great thing is, is there's a couple others in that crew those guys who are professionals also. Roger Federer. Maybe not at that same level of professionalism, but he's there. Novak Djokovic is there, right? Roger Federer is there. Yeah, absolutely. You know, he's he's a professional. You know, over time he's matured and he, he's become the sort of father figure on the tour, if you want to put it that way, almost like a gold standard to look up to. Um, different kind of professional to Nadal, um, but but ev- everything's professional there. Uh, in a way, yeah, yeah, I think you can claim Novak Djokovic is as well because he could have easily gotten stuck at the start of his career after he won that first Grand Slam. He was a long way behind Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal, and he had to he had to go away at the, to have a real long hard think about what he was doing, um, rebuild his game, find a way to get on that level, and. You know, 2010-2011 season, he came out and he was he, he won so many matches in a row. You know, he won six, seven tournaments in a row at the start of the season. Um, you, you don't get to do that without being a professional. And, you know, there's been times in Djokovic's career, certainly over the last five years, where he questioned that professionalism, where he was losing matches and it looked like he'd never win a slam again. But, uh, you know, a real professional does, you know... It, uh, when, when they have a slide, they go away, they find a way to fix it. They find a way to work hard. They find a way to, to, to problem solve and to come back bigger and better than ever. And that number one ranking, you don't get there if you're not a professional. No, you sure don't. You don't. Well, you might be able to get there, but you won't be able to stay there because somebody will take you out. I mean, John McEnroe was there and he, he wasn't able to stay there. You remember the historic... Season in 1984 where he won three majors. I think he was 84-3 and three or something. He never won another major after. He admits why. 
these guys aren't that way. At least Rafael Nadal isn't and Roger Federer isn't. You know, you hear rumors about Djokovic doing this, that, and, and 20 other things. Again, Jeannie Bouchard could probably fill us in on some of that. But at the end of the day, you've got this reason for Rafael Nadal to get up and bust his ass and play tennis every day and to work harder because he wants to beat Roger Federer. He wants to beat Novak Djokovic. For a while there, he wanted to beat Andy Murray. And I'm sure when he steps on the court against Andy Murray, he doesn't see a hobbled guy with a bad hip. He sees a champion who was at his level. Yeah, and that's kind of part of the, the whole package you get with Nadal, isn't it? That he doesn't disrespect his opponent. I, I don't think he disrespects anybody. You know, I think he knows he's well capable of going through the first few rounds and beating up on these kids quite easily. But uh, I don't think he ever underestimates an opponent. I don't think he underestimated Medvedev in the final. You know, the, the guy came back at him, could potentially have won the match. But um, you just saw the, the level of professionalism. You saw the champion come out in Rafael Nadal. You know, he, as you said, he will fight for every single point. It doesn't matter if he's 40 locked down against serve. He wants to get back to 40-15. He wants to get back to 40-30. This is how this guy wins matches. He makes you play points that you think he's not going to even bother playing. Um, I mentioned the, the sort of attritional battle you got to go through to play for, with him, uh, to hang with him at his level. It's a war of attrition because he makes it like that. You know, a point that you think's worthless, you know, you're, you're 40 low up on his serve. You think, ah, I've just banged down a 120-mile-an-hour serve. He's not going to bother trying to return this one. Oh, yeah, he's returning it. He's looking to win the point. You know, he, he sees 40 love down as an opportunity to still win that game. That's the kind of guy that this is. He's uh, mentally, he's uh, a giant. You know, if, if you see this guy stand on the other side of the net from you, you it, it must be so difficult to play him because you know that he's never going to let you go. He's never going to stop fighting he's never going to stop running until his legs are physically can't get him there um he's just not going to go away he, he just must be so so difficult an opponent to face i wouldn't want to play him but then i'm an old guy now he he's the kind of guy that you get up for though you point to and say man i got to get there somehow that's what you do and, and some guys went the wrong way trying to do it i don't know if i i look at Djokovic the same way in fact, I don't know if I look at Federer the same way. You know, Djokovic and Federer, they haven't had real injury issues. You know, Djokovic had some little things going on, but I think his was more mental. Nadal's had real injury problems that caused him to miss months of tennis every year. For him to be able to continue to do what he does, see, I didn't think he'd be able to walk at age 30. You know, his knees are shot. But apparently they're not shot enough because he goes out there and, and you can ask Mr. Medvedev this this for us. Is Rafael Nadal ready to retire? <laughs> well, he might be. But if he was the one who took off six months or a year or two years or five years, I'd put my money on that kid. <laughs> I tell you what, he's not ready to retire because he's one grand slam behind Roger Federer. Right. Um, it's it's the closest he's ever been to, to Roger Federer's total, I believe. And, you know, you look at what's on the horizon um, next year, 
Australian Open. Maybe, maybe not. He, he tends to do okay there. He does okay at every Grand Slam. French Open, yeah, yeah, I think he's going to have his sights set on that clay court season um, at Philip Chatter Court. They, they may as well rename it the Rafael Nadal Arena because, you know, there's only one king of that court. <laughs> right, 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 right. You're, you're right That's about that. house. Yeah, they, they ought to, yeah they, what they should do, when Rafael Nadal retires, and I hope it's not for a long time, but when he does, I think what they should do is just take that tennis court and just give it to him. Just give him the whole damn stadium and let him take it with him. Because that kid's won 12 majors there. It's, 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 uh, it's incredible um, what he's done there. and You know, I just want to put a shout out to people because if you get the chance, go and see Rafael Nadal in person. Um, watching him on the TV, it's incredible. You see him putting these shots around the net post and the big looping forehands and, you know, He's got all these shots, but when you when you see this up close and impersonal, and if you get the chance, go to that court in Paris, go to Chatteria, go see Nadal play on that court. It is an absolute spectacle. I mean, the one thing we, we'll tell you is, and everyone will tell you who's seen live tennis, is you don't really appreciate how quickly these guys move, how quickly they cover the court, how hard they hit the ball until you see it live when you're sitting by the side of the court. Um, you can go and watch a match and then, you know, say you get a typical men's match, two guys in the top 30, top 40, and then on next comes Rafael Nadal. And then you'll just see something that goes from incredible to absolutely out of this world. The way he moves, the way he runs a ball down, how he slides across the court, how he hits a ball with that huge topspin forehand, uh, the battle for every point, it's something that is a spectacle to behold, and you're probably never going to see that again in a generation, in a lifetime. You might never, ever see anyone like Rafael Nadal again. Much in the same way you might not see a Roger Federer again, um, or a Serena Williams, but Rafael Nadal, he's... He's a ticket you got to go and see before he disappears. Anyone who loves tennis, this is a guy that you you got to just get that chance to see him live. Go see him. He's worth every penny. You know, another place you I'm going to add to that in a minute, but you know where else you can see him? Where you're going to get a kick if you're a tennis person? Watch him practice. Watch that last five minutes of his practice when Carlos Moya goes on the other end of the net. And the guy I was alluding to, and I can't think of his freaking name, he feeds the ball to to Moya. Moya plays the ball back to Nadal, and Nadal hits everything for five minutes as hard as he can. He will never hit the ball that hard in a real match. But watch that. I've, I've been on the practice court next to that kid, and it sounds like he's hitting It's It's an explosion. You know, it, it, it's like a plane back firing constantly for five minutes. Pro players who've been around a long, long time will stand there and gawk watching Rafael Nadal's last five minutes of practice where he's going all the way. And it's such a sight to behold. But the other thing about Rafael Nadal and everything that you said, Craig, I I endorse, I stand behind 110%. But when he does all those things, you never hear him out there cussing like I do sometimes. You never hear him complaining to the referees. 
to the linesmen, to the umpires. He never has a bad word for anyone except for Nick Kyrgios and maybe a couple of others, but that took a while to get him to that point. And what you're seeing is a champion, a real one. But I want to ask you this now. Let's drop the GOAT thing, okay? The greatest of all time. We're not going to go there in this men's conversation. Probably shouldn't have went there in the women's. We probably will again because that's what we do, Craig. Is Rafael Nadal the best of his generation? Um. <laughs> this wow. Is, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. Because yeah. we've we've named three guys that are just that we could make a case for. Um, I think there's aspects of what he does that you could really put him forward for. Um, you you brought up the injury thing and coming back from the injuries, you have to think that it would be absolutely frightening if this guy never had those injuries. Um, you know, he he would not have lost that um match he lost at Roland Garros to I can't remember if it was Soderling or whoever it was the year Roger Federer won it. Um. When he was struggling with injury in that one, I, I just, uh, yeah, he, he he certainly has a huge case for it. And what makes it all the more special for me is he doesn't play by the textbook. Um, you know, if you want to say best of all time or best of his generation, you know, you, you can look at Roger Federer because he definitely plays it by the textbook. He's got a, a very traditional style of play that's very easy on the eye. It's very effortless looking. Um, people love that. People love Roger Federer. I, I get all that. I, I love what Roger Federer does. Um, Rafael Nadal, I just love the brutality of it. I love the way it's been built from the ground up. Nobody's ever going to be able to touch this guy on clay until he's too old to play. And I, I think he's managed to adapt that game that was built for clay onto the other surfaces, which I think's absolutely incredible. For me... He, yeah, I think he is. And I think out of the three guys, I just have this feeling that he's going to win the most Grand Slams as well. I, I just can't see anyone taking the French Open off him. And I, I could see him winning more on hard courts the way that he's playing. You know, that's a good point, too, because I don't see Roger Federer winning another major. This U.S. Open kind of exposed him a little bit. Maybe he is hurt a little. But I have never seen him miss, hit so many backhands. That he had in that during the U.S. Open, Djokovic, Djokovic, you never know. You know he has he's admitted it. He sometimes psychologically doesn't feel like being out there. He's admitted that he owned that. So anything that I just said, he's already said. So pump the brakes, Serbian folks. Um, but Rafael Nadal, you know what? He could probably just do it on clay. He could probably stay out there and only play the clay court season. Until he's 40, 50, or whatever, unless he needs a new hip or something, which is entirely possible. And he will surpass them, and he will go farther than Novak Djokovic and Roger Federer. He's going to be the one, when he hangs up that racket, he's going to have an untouchable Grand Slam career. Untouchable. Untouchable, yeah. Why not? And you know why I say that? Because I thought Pete Sampras's 14 was untouchable. <laughs> yeah. The, the rules have been rewritten on that one, haven't they? They sure have. You know, and, and at the end of the day, 
whether you're the greatest of all time or the greatest of your generation, the real question is, and I ask myself this every day, did you leave the game in a better way than when you left? I think I did. I think Rafael Nadal did. I'm sure Serena Williams has. I'm pretty sure Rafa or Roger Federer has. And, to be honest, Andy Murray and Novak Djokovic have also. And I think that's about all we got for them today, Craig. Yeah, yeah, it's been good. It's been a blast. I know we missed uh, cashing in on that U.S. Open final last week. We had a few technical issues. A lot of technical um, issues, mainly because we're busy as hell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, uh, you know, I wasn't near a, a system where I was able to record with you. You were knee-deep, uh, maybe maybe neck-deep in little writing pieces that you do. Oh, my God. You should, you should throw out a promo for that, man. People are missing out on that. Win Daily. WinDailySports.com. I uh, do tennis posts over there. I, I do sports handicapping there. I also do it at a few other places, but Win Daily Sports is where I do that. You can find me on Twitter at Cash with Flash. You can find Craig at CD Sports Media. Correct? You've written that down, haven't you? Nope. I remembered it after the last time. <laughs> you know what I got to go do now, Craig? That's correct. I got to watch it Noah Rubin. I have to watch Noah Rubin play. Because I touted him today. I actually touted Noah Rubin. Touted Noah Rubin? Where did you... Why? He's playing playing Christopher Eubanks down in Cary, North Carolina. At a challenger. And the line was good. So I said, why not? We'll be talking about Noah Rubin in the weeks to come, for sure. We're probably going to make him more famous than he'll ever be as a tennis player. For Craig Doyle. I'm Phil Dasons. Thanks for listening to This Week in Tennis.